From beautiful Cape Cod, Massachusetts, this is Returns on Wellbeing, the podcast that brings you the latest and best thinking from today's business and healthcare leaders. We share strategies, tactics, and information that help employers boost their bottom lines and address two of their biggest concerns, the cost of healthcare coverage and the engagement of their workforce. To guide us on this quest, here's our host, Jim Purcell. Our guest today is Mike Thompson. Mike is the CEO of the National Alliance of Healthcare Purchaser Coalitions. The National Alliance is an association of about 50 regional coalitions, which include over 12,000 purchasers of health care coverage for over 45 million Americans. Before that, Mike was a principal at PricewaterhouseCoopers and is a fellow of the Society of Actuaries. Uh, he is widely recognized as leading advocate for mental health and well-being and was the past president of the New York City chapter of the National Alliance for Mental, Mental Illness. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jim. Uh, Mike, you were an actuary with PwC for 20 years before you became the National Alliance's CEO. What caused you to change careers so drastically? Well, you know, it was a couple of factors. You know, one is I was coming up on mandatory retirement at PwC, but two... Um, I've always been a big believer that uh, purchasers, uh, the major employers in particular, were key influencers on change in in, in uh, healthcare and the health system. Um, as long as I've been around in my career, I've seen uh, many major changes led by purchasers, and it, and it actually um, is most potent when those purchasers. Uh, act together as uh, in, in uh, as coalitions of of, of thought leadership, and um, this opportunity uh, gave me the opportunity to uh, be part of that movement and to help uh, guide and 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 shape uh, future directions uh, for mm-hmm. employers and and the health system more broadly. Why don't you tell us what the National Alliance was and is today? So, the, so the National Alliance used to be called the National Business Coalition on Health. Uh, and, and we did uh, rename it uh, in part because of confusion with the National Business Group on Health, mm-hmm. but also to reinforce that it's, uh, it is the uh, entirety of these 50-some-odd uh, coalitions across the country and their impact. Uh, it's the only organization of its kind that includes both a national and a regional structure uh, uh, and has change agents effectively across the country. And of course, in healthcare and in health, uh, that's an important asset. And, and those purchasers are not just in the private sector, includes uh, many of the large public sector entities, the federal government, the, mm-hmm. uh, the city of New York, the state of Tennessee, as well as uh, Taft-Hartley's uh, union groups uh, w- who also purchase coverage. There's a there's an aligned interest to uh, act together to uh, improve value and uh, and accelerate uh, innovations uh, around health and well-being. Yeah, and there probably is a shared belief that for the vast amount of money that they're paying today for their employees' health care coverage, they're not getting value. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and this has been a continuous battle, and um, I think the system uh, continues to reward volume more than value. And, yes. Uh, and at the same time, uh, we aren't getting better outcomes and we're not getting healthier. And, and 
um, I think we have to uh, kind of reverse that that trend, uh, and uh, we certainly um, work with stakeholders uh, nationally and and locally to to, to advance that agenda. Yep. Uh, even before joining the National Alliance, you had a strong interest in mental health. Obviously, tell us about that. Well, you know, mental health uh, is a, is an interesting area. I, um, one in five Americans uh, uh, deals with issues in, in mental health, and uh, and frankly, all of us um, are affected through our families and our friends. And yet, um, it's an area that's been, um, in many ways, underserved and has actually gotten worse over time. We mm-hmm. we have some very serious issues in terms of how we're dealing with uh, mental health uh, issues, both from a from a delivery standpoint, an access standpoint, from a quality standpoint. Um, but also there's some of this is self-imposed in terms of issues around stigma around mental health. And I think as the science has improved uh, to better understand um, what the underlying issues in our brains are related to mental health and how the environment and our genetics impact that, um, I think um, – I think we are due for a cultural change to accept and and better promote and support the mental health and well-being uh, of ourselves and, and our people. And um, uh, I was uh, very active at NAMI, uh, both in terms of um, uh, developing programs to help to break the silence and, and impact that stigma, but also to look at how the workplace uh, and the influence on that healthcare delivery system uh, can be uh, uh, a catalyst for uh, for improving uh, the system. At the National Alliance, we effectively have uh, taken a lot of those learnings mm-hmm. and developed a mental health initiative to uh, again advance. Uh, a progressive agenda to uh, what, in our words, move mountains for mental health. Right. Uh, That's very good. Uh, The National Alliance is launching a well-being initiative. Will you you tell us about that, please? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Wellness-type programs have been around for, gosh, must be 20 years plus, uh, Mm -hmm. depending on how you you count. Uh, And today, about 85% of employers... Uh, have some form of wellness program, and typically those programs have been very focused on uh, uh, issues like improving nutrition, getting people more active, um, and in many instances have been gearing all those efforts around uh, uh, changing some of those root cause issues that impact health, health and healthcare costs. Uh, downstream. And all those are worthy efforts. But I think that what we're finding, what the evidence is increasingly showing, is that if we take a more holistic view of well-being, a total person view, not just mm-hmm. uh, not just limited to physical health and, and, and not even just limited to mental health, but emotional well-being, uh, social well-being, financial well-being, uh, and you look at that more holistically, that the impact is is uh, a multitude uh, 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 higher than than even if we could move the dial on on uh, the original wellness agenda. Uh, interestingly, when you shift the focus to well-being, the business case is even stronger. Uh, not just because it helps to move 
health outcomes downstream, but the, the people agenda uh, impacts uh, attracting, retaining, engaging, um, and, and frankly, it, it is always in one of the top motivators of the C-suite uh, for every organization. And, and um, uh, so again, we, we believe that this kind of this rebooting of wellness to well-being is a fundamental shift and really requires rethinking um, our entire strategies uh, from, from benefits on up. What do you expect National Alliance is going to be doing for your uh, regional coalitions and your members in in regard to your well-being initiative? Well, you know, it's interesting. We we uh, when we announced we were uh, developing a well-being initiative, um, some real thought leaders across the country kind of emerged uh, to help us to think that through. What 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 do we need to do? What does it need to look like? How do we? execute uh, against that broader uh, mindset. And uh, out of that came uh, a collaborative effort that built a well-being framework that looked at um, the stakeholders that potentially impact in, uh, the well-being of individuals as well as benefit from uh, promoting that well-being of individuals. And some of those stakeholders, not surprisingly, included employers, but it also included families and it, it included uh, communities and and interestingly health systems themselves mm -hmm. and uh, what we have done is we have started to socialize that framework and we've gotten a, a really an eye-opening reaction to um, kind of rethinking uh, this this broader context of well-being through the lens of that framework uh, we've developed a a um, national webcast that's been recorded uh, for the framework, not just to have a webcast, but actually to use that as a way to help socialize within organizations. Some of the feedback we've gotten from uh, some of the boards of our coalitions that is that if you could give us something that we could share with others in our organizations, this will help us to generate the conversations we need to have in our organizations to break through the silos and have a more holistic strategy around well-being. Yep. Uh, we're going to follow up that webcast with uh, half-day uh, seminars, uh, coalition by coalition, uh, with the goal uh, that that will help motivate uh, a movement in each of these coalitions that take this on. And then what we're really looking is to is develop kind of a learning network through those coalitions that as companies and organizations uh, tackle this and, and start to connect the dots more broadly that they'll learn from each other as to what's worked, what are some of the pushbacks and how do they overcome them? Mm -hmm. So this is, this is a journey and, uh, but it really has started with kind of a, a rethinking of, of why and how we're approaching this. I know that you have a, a leadership group of, uh, advisors who are helping you and the National Alliance with this. Uh, and I, I, I know because I'm participating, you have some real stars there. Could you tell us about some of them? Uh, Joe Checkley uh, is, uh, uh, has helped to kind of lead this initiative. He right. comes with a, a benefits-type background, but we've had uh, Jennifer Pitts, who's been a leader out of the uh, Eddington Associates. Uh, she's helped uh, really uh, uh, been uh, critical in terms of developing the framework. We've yeah, and had, she she uh, she uh, she and D. Eddington 
wrote a book, Shared Value, Shared Results, which is, is very terrific, hasn't she? Yeah, no, she's been uh, truly terrific. Um, yeah. We've had a lot of support from Laurel Hamill, uh, Laura Hamill from uh, uh, Limeade, who have done a lot in the in the context of culture and well-being. Uh, uh, Sharecare, uh, formerly uh, Healthways, has yeah. has really been uh, helpful in in sharing their results and allowing us to uh, scale and leverage uh, those results. Uh, interestingly, even even Steelcase, James Brewer from Steelcase. Yep. Very helpful because they've they've actually looked at this in the context of the uh, of workplace, uh, and and um, and so a, a lot of different um, players, and I'm sure I've left out some oh, yeah. very important ones as well. But but you can tell there's a it, it's a very diverse and and thoughtful group. Uh, our own Margaret Rahayam uh, has also played a, a critical role as well. I, I've enjoyed participating, and uh, one of the people who I've really enjoyed talking with uh, is a fellow named Charles Latarulo, who uh, works for American Express. Well, you know, uh, Charles, Charles himself, as, a, as an individual, has been a true leader in this space, and, and we've been working with Charles now, uh, dating back to when I was at PwC, for probably 15 years. And mm -hmm. uh, Charles actually launched programs. The I Will Listen campaign, he actually launched okay. that uh, yep. glo globally. American Express has also been a leader in in this broader context around well-being as well. And and I think uh, it it uh, it's very consistent with their culture and 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 is really core to their overall employee value proposition. Yep. And the I Will Listen campaign is is so stunningly simple and yet effective because it it not only leverages a culture of well-being but in and of itself if fellow employees are willing to listen about mental health issues it starts to destigmatize them it, uh, it seems a terrific program isn't it it's it's basically saying uh, you know i will not judge i i'm here to listen and mm -hmm. i i think it 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 really speaks from a corporate perspective also about the whole idea of you know i've got my employees back you know, and right. no matter whether they're going through issues with mental health or, or even some of the things going on in their lives, uh, uh, you know, we we talk about caregiving as an emerging issue that many employers mm -hmm. or many employees uh, deal with. Um, when it, employers are are open to understanding what's impacting uh, their people and working with them collaboratively mm -hmm. to help them uh, succeed both in their lives, improve their health. And improve their well-being and be effective contributors to the the mission of the organization i i think that's a much more sustainable and attractive uh way for employers to uh, distinguish themselves in what otherwise is a very competitive uh labor environment right um uh, you and i probably both know ceos and employers that quite frankly don't create a caring nurturing environment for their employees, but rather just grind things out. And perhaps this National Alliance movement of well-being is a way to start to change something fundamental about how CEOs and employers and C-suites and boards view their employees, um, maybe leaving a legacy that expands beyond just meeting quarterly dividends, but you see this as, at least as a little bit of a part of what you're trying to do? 
you know, absolutely. You know, I, I, I don't think that um, we have always, uh, in some, in some ways, companies were more focused on this employee or employee value proposition, maybe 20 years ago, even or 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, work, for, uh, you know, uh, talent become much more transient, uh, less loyal uh, in an environment where people have more choices uh, related to their careers and and their and and their work environment. If you're going to have the best people, I think you've got to work with them in a way that uh, supports their lives, but also do so in a way that's realistic in the context of your own you know, business, uh, constraints. And, and, uh, that's one of the secrets to success here is, is it's not all about work and life. It's, it's really about bringing those two together in a way that meets the needs of the people at the same time as it meets the needs of the business. And that, and that requires really thoughtful engagement and, and it's more than just programs. It's really cultural and, and integrated into how we, how we do things around here. The culture of well-being, um, in in your opinion, is is key. I take it, right? Uh, yeah, and and you know, it it's not something that resides in a uh, with just a wellness manager. I mean, what what you see in the the companies that really truly execute in this space is they go beyond kind of their benefits organization or their wellness uh, advocate, uh, to include talent and diversity and, and community relations and, 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 and take a more holistic view mm-hmm. of what they're trying to accomplish, uh, in their people agenda and in their broader engagement with other stakeholders as well. And, and when it happens, it becomes a much more integral part of the company's strategy, uh, and, and not at the expense of the bottom line, but actually as an accelerator to it. Uh, there, there certainly are studies that, that I know I've seen, and I'm sure you have, that show that this is a strong business strategy that uh, impacts positively the bottom line. Have you seen that? Uh, absolutely, and the the companies that step out have found that um, their people really appreciate that their their company is trying to do right by them. Uh, you know, they're not going to get it 100%. No one ever does. Right. And because of that, uh, there's, a, there's a level of engagement and loyalty uh, that actually leads to higher productivity, leads to uh, um, um, more um, uh, engagement with the organization in a way that improves results over time. Mm-hmm. You can imagine that, you know, if, if you kind of ignore what's going on more broadly in people's lives, uh, whether it's from a health, uh, emotional, or or family perspective, their their issues are competing with their attention uh, to uh, performing at work. Mm-hmm. To the extent that we can acknowledge that uh, these things exist and actually help people build the skills to and and give them the resource to better manage uh, and be more effective at work and to manage these other issues that aren't going to go away, um, I, I think there's, we know there's a win-win there uh, for both the companies and those people. Right. You and I had a conversation uh, a week or two ago, and, and you, um, I thought you made a really good point when you talked about, we were talking about the mental and emotional com- components of well-being, and we discussed the relative merits 
and returns of, say, attacking obesity, a physical issue, versus attacking stress. Do you recall that? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a really great point. You know, um, uh, corporate America, uh, through their wellness programs, has clearly identified obesity as a very important issue because it leads to so many issues and chronic, uh, chronic disease, diabetes, but many other conditions as well. And uh, because of that, it's put, have put a big emphasis to kind of change the, uh, the habits that lead to obesity in their workforce. Um, the problem is those habits are, are really hard to change, one. And two, uh, when you do change and when you actually do have an impact, it takes time for those downstream effects to actually manifest themselves in terms of cost savings and productivity savings uh, uh, again, it, it certainly a worthwhile endeavor. What's interesting, when you, however, when you look at stress and the impact that it has on business results, it's every bit as big. It has an impact on healthcare costs, an impact on on, um, on productivity, impact on things like turnover and um, uh, disability, workers' comp, a lot of lot of different elements. And uh, and interestingly, if you deal with uh, both people's ability to manage stress, their resilience, their mindfulness, uh, as well as the, the root cause issues related to uh, demands and pressures, uh, deal with how supervisors enga- are engaging with, uh, with the employees and how, uh, how the workforce helps people manage their overall, uh, manage and support uh, their overall lives that actually has a very immediate payback. So if the other might be two, three years down the road, the, pay, the payback on this can be six months. It can be in the same earnings cycle. Uh, and so um, as we shift the agenda from wellness, which has historically been largely focused on um, issues around physical health, right. to well-being, which tends to be much more encompassing and and where stress and emotional well-being uh, take a, a front seat, um, you actually advance the returns uh, to be much more relevant to the to the organization, um, even in the same uh, in the same fiscal year that you're dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I, I I suspect most employers uh, adopt well-being or wellness programs to positively impact the costs of their their health insurance or health care coverage but there are so many more things that that can be done such as um, engagement productivity turnover absenteeism um, I, I and the, the the turnover thing is is closely tied with Millennials who of course are looking for something more akin to a culture of well-being so th- this is much broader than just health insurance coverage, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And, and what's interesting, there there have been um, a number of kind of bright spots uh, in the last, you know, 15 years where uh, organizations or, or, or stakeholders have taken a, a very progressive approach to helping people manage their overall, uh, overall health as advocates. Um, more effective, kind of a total person, total health approach. And if you actually talk to those organizations, they will tell you that the the secret sauce isn't on educating people on how they could act 
better, you know, what they could eat better and, and whatever. It's actually getting to know the broader context in which they're living their lives and helping them deal with that in that context. Uh, kind of the social determinants of health. And, and we've seen that with some of the advocacy programs like an Accolade or a Quantum. And we've also seen it in some of the advanced primary care. Those uh, entities um, take a whole person approach and get to know the individual much more closely. I think we're talking about the same thing here. We're, we're talking about work, understanding people more holistically, certainly respecting their privacy, but opening up to help them help them in broader ways than maybe we've uh, ultimately or, or previously thought about. And I think the returns are broader than we can anticipate. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it will not, it will show up certainly in terms of morale, but it will also show up in healthcare costs. It will also show up uh, in disability. It will show up in, a, in many other forms uh, that we probably uh, have not even anticipated. So these workshops that are coming up, uh, very exciting. Uh, when can we expect to start seeing them rolling out? Uh, well, we're really planning our first uh, in January, and uh, frankly, we'll, we'll, this will be a learning um, uh, um, experience for us. As we, as we see what works, it will, we will adapt. But again, we're very optimistic. The, the feedback we have gotten uh, in terms of helping to reframe how we're thinking about well-being, moving beyond just a program, programmatic focus to this broader context of breaking down silos, meta-leadership, getting outside, leading up across, and, and, and ultimately engaging positively not just across our organizations, but uh, in the in the communities that uh, our, our people uh, you know live and work, I, I think. Um, is really a, a very positive and optimistic view of where this can go. Um, I think every company's uh, journey will be a little bit different, and it will have to be adapted to the realities of, uh, of their business and their workforce. Um, but the framework generalizes pretty well. And in fact, it, it doesn't need to necessarily be limited to the U.S. Many of these companies uh, are, are global in nature and, and frankly, well-being, the context of well-being, the concept of well-being exports naturally. It's, a, it's, a, it's an easier framework to uh, develop a uh, uh, broader buy-in, not just here in the U.S., but uh, uh, across the globe. This is very exciting, and I, I will tell you, Mike, I'm, I'm proud to be part of it. Uh, and with that, that concludes our interview for today. Michael, thank you very much for joining us been listening to Returns on Wellbeing. To subscribe to this podcast series, visit www.returnsonwellbeing.com, where you'll find resources to help organizational leaders achieve tangible returns on well